the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Happy Mother's Day. And not only Happy Mother's Day, Happy Lord's Day to you as well. Maybe you are a history buff. I love history personally. I know there are people who don't. They enjoy math. I do not enjoy math. I enjoy history. Normally they go like this. Maybe you enjoy both, but you're one of those rare people if you do. Now, let me ask you this question. Even though I love history, I have never been concerned about my genealogy. I have never been concerned about going back and looking at my ancestors. I have to admit, I look at myself and I already know one fruit that is involved in the family tree, and I suspect that if I look at my family tree, I will find several fruits and nuts in my family tree. Maybe you would too. We all are excited when we hear we're related to somebody who is well known and well regarded by many. But in all of our genealogies and all of our ancestry, we're bound to have a few that we are not so happy to call our relatives. When you think of the gospel accounts, when you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in each case, think about biography with a redemptive purpose. Think about the life of Jesus being told in a way that is historically accurate, but with a saving purpose behind it. Because Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Luke 19 and verse 10. He came to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10 verses 44 and 45. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all writing about the life of Christ with a redemptive purpose ever in their mind. With his saving purpose ever in their mind. And maybe it's for that reason that John says, many other signs therefore did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you can have life in his name. John 20, verses 30 and 31 John would go on to say in the very next chapter, John 21, verses 24 and 25, that the things that I am saying to you, that I'm testifying to you, are true. And that if all the things that Jesus had done were recorded, there's not a book big enough to hold to contain them all. The way these books begin is not accidental. 
if they are talking about the life of Jesus with his saving purpose involved, what they are saying is not only historical, but it's inspired. And we need to be listening well to what's being said and how it's being said. Take a moment to understand that each of the books introduce themselves with what we might call a prologue, just a basic introduction. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark 1, 1 through 15. A basic introduction. Who's in your family tree? We'll see more about that in just a moment, but Mark begins his account of the life of Jesus and how he came to save and he begins it by talking about the ministry of John the baptizer and then of Christ's baptism. He just dives into it. And for those who are familiar with the book of Mark, one of his favorite words is immediately or straightway. He's got a story to tell and he can't wait to tell it, so he just dives in. Turn to the book of Luke. Luke has a prologue and it's the briefest of the four books. His introduction is found in Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4. When you think of the gospel of Luke, think investigative journalist. Think investigative journalist who is wanting to present an orderly, well-arranged account of the life of Jesus who came to save us. That's why he's writing in everything from Mark. He starts with the ministry of Jesus and John the baptizer. John the baptizer is the forerunner. Jesus is the one that he points toward. And off to the races, Mark goes. And you get to Luke, and it's got to be an orderly, well-arranged account. And he really is a thorough writer. We see this in Luke, and we see it also in Acts. Go to John. John begins with a prologue and introduction in John 1, 1 through 18. Each of them look at Jesus and his saving purpose from a slightly different slant. Mark. He's the one that follows John the baptizer according to prophecy. I want to focus on his ministry and what he did. Luke, I want to focus on the ministry of Jesus and his saving purpose in as thorough and as complete a way as I can. So I'm going to talk to a lot of people. I'm going to share with you the results of my findings. I am an investigative journalist, an inspired one. But John takes us back to eternity and to the very beginning, and to the presence of Jesus, who is completely, perfectly, and fully God. Isn't it amazing how each one begins the books? Now, i got to tell you, Matthew probably is going to be significantly different, because when you get to Matthew 1, 1 through 17, he uses a genealogy. <laughs> I realize that there's a tendency on the part of some of us in the West to immediately think, well, that's going to be kind of dull. 
And if we're really going to be blunt about it, we might even say, that sounds so boring, Mike. And here's my response. Only God can take a whole lot of dead people and turn it into a story of grace. And only God can take a birth certificate and turn it into the story of salvation. And that is exactly what Matthew does through God the Holy Spirit in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Far from being dull and boring, it is so exciting and thrilling to think about. Now, here's what I mean. When you look at Matthew 1 and verse 1, it is the genealogy, the book of the genealogy, or the Genesis, the beginnings, or a book of records. Now, to Jews, this was everything. Background and family were everything. Their identification and validation were wrapped up in their family tree. And whether we like to acknowledge that, a lot of that's still true with us even in the West. Amen? Our identity and our validation are wrapped up in our roots. There was a horizontal sense of identification and validation for the Jew. Because depending upon your family tree, that had a lot to do with your inheritance of land. It had a lot to do with who you might be marrying. It had a lot to do with your power and standing in life. So the horizontal aspects of your family tree were enormous within Judaism, but also vertically your relationship with God. To be able to say that you had David and Abraham as ancestors. These were men to whom God made a special promise. Wow. Now notice verse 1 and verse 17. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, that's going to be the most important name in a huge list of names. The son of David. That's going to be one of the most important names too, but not the. He's supporting cast material. The son of Abraham. Now notice verse 17 and what it does. It reverses the order, and it's a frame. It's a family portrait framed each time by Jesus, David, and Abraham. Except it's reversed in the order in verse 17, and is Abraham, 
David and Jesus. What are you saying, Brother Mike? I'm going to say this. In Matthew 1, 1 through 17, the first name mentioned is Jesus Christ, Adam, and the last name mentioned is Jesus Christ. And isn't that the way it ought to be? Amen. A lot of great people and some not so great. But he came to save foreigners and faithful men and women, sinners and good folk. And that's what Matthew is telling us. And what I think is interesting about each of the prologues, whether it's Matthew 1, 1 through 17, Mark 1, 1 through 15, Luke 1, 1 through 4, or John 1, 1 through 18, the rest of the particular book answers the main issues being addressed in the introduction. You ever thought about that? A whole rest of the book answers that. Now what I want to do is ask two questions as we study Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And I hope I convinced you that it's not really as dull as you might be uh, tempted to think. I want to ask these two questions. Who's in the family tree in this passage? And then the second question, whose tree is it? Who's in the family tree? You can look at this section of Scripture, Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and let me break it down for you because it breaks down very easily based upon the teaching found in verse 1 and verse 17. In Matthew 1, 1 through 6, you have from Abraham to Adam. See that, Tom? From Abraham to David, rather. From Abraham to David. In Matthew 1, 6 through 11, you have from David to the deportation to Babylon. And then from 12 through 16, you have the deportation to Babylon that time to the time of Joseph and Mary. And then you have a summary statement in Matthew 1 and verse 17. Now let's stop and look at the rather strange conglomeration of people that are included for good reason because God does not give anything by accident, including a genealogy, and learn a few things. Let's look at 10 or 12 people. Let's consider first of all Abraham. Abraham, in verse 2. Think of the promise that God made to Abraham. It really consisted of four parts in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Genesis 22, 16 through 18. What God says to Abraham is, I am going to make a great people out of you. A guy who had not had a son biologically, and yet he's being told this at this time. Secondly, he promised his protection. 
I am going to make out of you a great people. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Third, he talks about his program. In you and your seed shall all the nations of the earth, the world, be blessed. Mark that thought. And then a place. I'm going to give you a home. Abraham, of course, is the father of the Jewish nation. He was a man of tremendous faith. He was a flawed man, but no one could say that he didn't trust and love God. Are you a flawed person? You love and trust God, but maybe your faith is often nowhere near Abraham's. Now that brings me to another person. When you look at the passage, it speaks of Judah. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. The fourth son of Jacob. And yet Judah would rise to prominence among the twelve. We read in Genesis 49 and verse 10 that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh, the bringer of peace, comes. Jesus descended of the tribe of Judah, Hebrews 7, 14. He's called the lion out of the tribe of Judah in Revelation 5, 5. Now here's something I want you to know. Judah is the brother of Joseph that says when his brothers want to kill him, let's don't kill him, let's at least make some profit. In Genesis 37, let's sell him to these folks. And so he is sold into slavery and would eventually go to Egypt. Judah is behind that. In other words, he seems to be the guy that's always looking for a way to make a dollar, a shekel. Genesis 38 is one of those R-rated chapters where Judah is involved in activity that is God-dishonoring. And yet later in the same book, it's Judah who tells his father, let me take Benjamin back and I promise you on my life that I will take care of him. And he means every word of it. When you think about Jesus, he's the one who makes people family that we sang about. Keep looking at the passage. Tamar, why don't I preach on who's in your family tree? I preached on it because it's Mother's Day and it's a roundabout way to make the point and the Lord's Day. There are five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. That would have been unheard of within Judaism. 
and they are not the Mount Rushmore of great godly women. You know, Sarah's not in there, Rebecca's not in there, Rachel's not in there. Only one of them we would tend to think of maybe as being on the Mount Rushmore of great godly women of the Old Testament, Ruth. I don't think that the others would make anybody's list with the possible exception of Rahab. But the ladies' names are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Her name is not specifically mentioned, but we know who it is. Who is it? Bathsheba. And then the fifth, Mary. Mary. When I stop and I think about these names, at least two of them were foreigners. You have Rahab who is a Canaanite, and she has more faith in the God of Israel than Israel seems to. Joshua chapter 2, James chapter 2. She has so much faith as a Canaanite woman that she puts her life on the line and she's included in the great hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But we understand her background is that of being a, a prostitute, a harlot. How gracious God is to forgive people of all genders and all races and all kinds of backgrounds because of Jesus Christ. Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And there was a history between Israel and Moab. And not a good one. But in Ruth 3 and verse 11, Boaz would say, a man would say to this lady who was a Moabite, all of us know that you are a worthy woman, a godly woman, one who wants to do what is right. You're noble. You're a person of character. Bathsheba. We know her husband was a Hittite. The likelihood is quite strong that she herself, though, was a Jew. And even if it had been politically expedient, it was still somewhat frowned upon for those who were Jews to marry those from other tribes and peoples. And then Mary. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you imagine people talked when Mary was with child? Don't you imagine that there was a lot of whispering going on? Mary was guilty of no impropriety, no sin, sexual sin. The text says she was a virgin in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And yet she was willing to bear a stigma that was untrue. 
Folks may talk, but Jesus came to this world to save sinners, including those who talk and say things they shouldn't and who make life difficult for others. Keep looking at this. There's David, the man after God's own heart, but really what seems to be emphasized is his sin with Bathsheba and his guilt. His guilt seems to be mentioned even more than hers by implication in this passage in my judgment. Next, Solomon. Matthew 12, 42, Jesus would say, a greater than Solomon is here. His son Rehoboam, Rehoboam, in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 18 through 23, we read how Rehoboam had 18 wives and 60 concubines. Not quite as many as his dad. But he still made life very rough for God's people and under Rehoboam, the kingdom divided. A few other names are mentioned. Interestingly, Ahaz, who was one of the most wicked of the kings, 2 Chronicles 28 and verse 3. It's hard to say very much. And Adam, I know you're studying this in the Bible classes and I don't want to get uh, on your turf. But it's hard to find much good to say about Ahaz. And perhaps the best thing we can say about Ahaz was his son. Sometimes wicked people have good sons and sometimes good people have wicked sons and daughters. Isn't that interesting? And his son's name was Hezekiah. One who was a leader who blessed God's people in many ways. And the last of the names I want to focus on is jo Josiah. Josiah was probably the greatest of the reformers of the kings. But all he does is point to the one who restores our relationship with God, Jesus. He's just somebody else that's in the family tree, y'all. That brings me to this point now, this question. Whose tree is it? Whose tree is it? And let the text answer. A birth certificate with an amazing array of names that all show that Jesus is God. Now, my mother moved here recently, as most of you know. She's right there next to Sheree, row two. She has more names than ought to be legal. In fact, we need to cut down on some of her names or we're probably going to get in a little bit of trouble eventually. Sometimes she is Nora Almona Morton, which is really her name. Sometimes she is Mona Morton, and you call her that, she'll respond. Nora, Al Mona, they just took the owl off. Sometimes I call her Big Al, but anyway, respectfully, respectfully. Sometimes she goes back to her maiden name, which was Watson. And as we looked at her 
Social Security card, and as we looked at her birth certificate, and as we looked at her insurances, lo and behold, if there wasn't a different name on virtually every one of them. And her response is, well, they're all me. Yes. All of these names that I'm about to share really are Jesus. Notice verse 1. Jesus, which means Savior. Christ, which means the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Son of David, which means he is the one who fulfills the promises God made to David. 2 Samuel 7, 11 and 12. He is the one that David calls Lord. Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to the end of the chapter. He is the son of Abraham. He is the one who fulfills God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, among other passages. He is the Savior. He is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah. He is the King that has been promised, the long-awaited one. And Matthew is beginning, y'all, by saying, He's here. Jesus is here. And oh, how we should love him and embrace him. Then you keep working your way down in the chapter. What's said of Jesus? It's said in verses 18 through 25 that he is virgin born. One might expect God to come to earth in an unusual way if God were to come to earth. Surely this would be a most unusual way. In fulfillment of scripture, Isaiah 7:14 among other passages. Notice verse 21, Matthew 1. He is described as a savior. He will save his people from their sins. Look at verses 23 through 25 of Matthew 1. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. In this chapter and the one that follows, there's just all kinds of great statements made concerning the identity of Jesus. He is identified and validated based on this genealogy and who he is makes the difference for all of us. Now, take just a moment and look at Matthew 2. In Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 2. We have come to see him, the Magi say, the Magi, who is the king of the Jews. 
true of Jesus, God with us, the Savior, the virgin-born one, the long-awaited King and Messiah, the anointed one, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the fulfillment of God's promises. He's the king. And the only way their statement could have been better as wise men was to not just call him the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19.11. Revelation 19.16. Notice this. Same passage, Matthew 2, verse 2. We have come to what? Why did the wise men come? What, Jeff? To worship. He is the one infinitely worthy of worship. I'd say just the opening few verses of the Gospel of Matthew tell us a whole lot about humanity. Don't you agree? But even more, they tell us a whole lot more about our Savior. Who's in your family tree? You know, a week ago, on Sunday evening, Evan was baptized into Christ. I know that that's a moment that his parents have been waiting for for a long time, praying about others of us, because we love and appreciate you, man. And the way Adam told the story in his little bulletin article about, I'm lost, to I'm saved. That is exactly what Matthew chapter 1 is about. A lot of dead, lost people who could be saved and who look forward to the salvation in Jesus. Are you part of the Lord's family? Is he the head of the family tree? Now, admittedly, in the family sometimes, there's going to be a few fruits and nuts, even the family of God, even in the family of God. We are, after all, a peculiar people, amen? But where God has a son or a daughter, I have a brother or a sister, and so does a Christian, every Christian. To be part of God's family and to be with God forever. That's why Jesus came. You can come to Jesus in faith and repentance and baptism and have your sins washed away. And you can be added to the body of Christ, the church, his family. If you haven't, don't delay anymore. And for those of us who are in God's family... Let's act more becomingly of the one who is our Savior and our King. The one who's worthy of worship and praise. 
If we can assist you in these matters, won't you come as we stand and sing?